I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. The horse is out of the barn. That's a red wave running. It's high noon for Tuesday, April 13th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. Or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find the podcast on Gab and Parlor at I'm your moderator. And for the merch, head over to www.cancelcotour.com. Also, if you never did it, and if you have a second, go on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star review, leave a couple of kind words so that we can battle back the communists giving me their one-star reviews. And that would be just thrilling for me. Today is the 83rd full day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party to the point where he is so weakened that China and Russia can just tell him straight up. Don't even think about interfering in Crimea or in Taiwan. Because you, Joe Biden, are not a legitimate president. And also, come on, we know what you did. Joe Biden is also the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history. And the father of one of the most despicable sons who has ever walked the earth, Hunter Biden. So congratulations, communists. Now you can feel proud of your country in case you ever interact with those very high class Europeans you're constantly imagining and wanting to impress. Bunch of stuff to talk about today. So much going on. But let's start with Jen Psaki yesterday. Also investing $3 billion to states and community-based organizations to th- strengthen vaccine confidence in the highest risk and hardest hit communities. And often people uh, think of that as just black and brown communities, and that is not. As you've noted, that is also conservative communities, white evangelicals. It's a range of communities around the country. What we found to be most effective is to work with these local organizations. So faith-based organizations, community health organizations, civic leaders, and others who can really get this message deeply uh, in communities. We've also had a number of our um, members of our COVID team from Dr. Fauci and uh, and Dr. Collins uh, participate, as an example, participate in a range of media interviews. You know, an example is Dr. Collins participated in the 700 Club. Dr. Nunez Smith hosted a Faith Leaders Roundtable. Uh, we're also looking for, we've run PSAs on the deadliest catch. We're engaged with NASCAR and country music TV. We're looking for a range of creative ways to get 
directly connected to white conservative communities. We won't always be the best messengers, but we're still trying to meet people where they are, but also empower local organizations. And just put fall. Got that, America? Vaccine hesitancy is really only a messaging problem among communities. You know, like the black community, the brown community, white evangelicals, you know, communities. Hey, Jen Psaki, who else is there aside from communist Democrats? Are you really just saying that the only people who don't have vaccine hesitancy are Maskey's, commies, Obamis, and Romneys? I would agree with you. But it seems like you've described pretty much everybody else as being vaccine hesitant. And what's the solution to deal with this vaccine hesitancy? Well, we just need to go into the faith-based communities and the community leaders and convince them to convince everyone else. It's kind of like, oh, uh, what do you what do you call those things? Oh, yeah. Multi-level marketing scams. <laughs> we have a vaccine pyramid scheme going on here. Should we imagine that they're approaching it in a different way than they approached the 2020 election? Courtesy of Mark Zuckerberg, just go into little communities and pay people off to get them to execute the program for you so that it looks and feels and sounds like it was grassroots, like the people were convinced. And it's not the messaging, this overwhelming threat of constant insecurity. The chance that you might be deprived of everything you want to do in your life, including seeing loved ones. Unless you take the shot. And again, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but this is another instance of the White House, in quotes, believing that the entirety of their job is using messaging to manipulate the public. It's not about telling them the truth. It's not about convincing them on their own terms why it might be good for them and giving the information and then letting them make an informed choice. We have to eliminate vaccine hesitancy. And how do we target white evangelicals? Oh, well, we just go to the things that that they believe and that they trust, where they get all their information. You know, like country music television and the deadliest catch and NASCAR. Because the communists have seen that that is how their messaging works the best. You know, put in the commie messaging in the middle of, let's say, the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball or really any cultural entertainment. Let's just stick the communist messaging and propaganda right in the middle of that to force those damn white evangelicals and black and brown vaccine hesitant people. We'll just force them to see our propaganda and eventually they'll do the thing we want to want them to do because we all know that they're not going to give up their television. Oh, wait, sports ratings are down dramatically. No one watches awards shows anymore. Hey, Jen, what other shows do Trump supporters watch? Get out your TV guide and figure out some new ones, because if you shove that propaganda in there, 
people are just going to stop watching. Crazy how that works, huh? I mean, CNN, who we know is funded by Big Pharma, Big Pharma commercial after Big Pharma commercial after Big Pharma commercial, 24 hours a day. That is strong messaging. And that's why CNN's ratings are still so high. Oh, wait, they dropped 60% since the election, too. But wait, 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 it gets worse. James O'Keefe and Project Veritas today released some hidden camera coverage of a CNN technical director named Charlie Chester. I'll play a few seconds of it for you. He's talking about how they cover Biden, how they cover Trump. And then specifically, there's going to be one part you notice. They're talking about the story that they invented out of nothing about Trump's declining health. I'm sure that you remember those news cycles. Those were all fake. And he admits it right here. I think I, I think we got him through this term. We would always share shots of him jogging. Him in aviator shades and like a, like you paint him as a young geriatric. We were creating a story there that we didn't know anything about. You know, we were, so that's that's I think that's propaganda. Look what we did. We got Trump out. I am a hundred percent going to say it. And I 100% believe it, that if it wasn't for CNN, I don't know that Trump would have got voted out. Our focus was to get Trump out of office, right? Without saying it, that's what it was, right? So our next thing is going to be for climate change awareness. Do you think it's going to be just like a lot of like fear? Like climate? Yeah, fear sells. Fear sells. No one ever says those things out loud, but it's obvious. For years, we've... Well, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Charlie Chester, CNN's technical director, who has, by the way, deleted his LinkedIn page since this morning, just admitted that CNN tries to paint Joe Biden as a young, vibrant, jogging, aviator glasses wearing young geriatric. They make up a story completely about Trump's health. He admits that what they're doing is propaganda. He admits that CNN lying to the American public helped get Trump voted out. And we'll see about that, Charlie. And then he says that they're going to use the exact same tactic for climate change that they did with Trump and that they did with COVID. They're going to sell the American public fear, fear to no end. This is the mainstream media. This is the state media. This is what they do. And that's only part one. Apparently, part two is going to come out hopefully this afternoon or tomorrow morning. But what else do we need to know about these people? CNN gets exposed over and over and over and over again. And of course, the communists are always like, yeah, but that's just Project Veritas doing that. (laughs) Really? So that's not CNN's technical director saying those things? That wasn't uh, NPR's general counsel or whatever he was, outside counsel, something like that. The guy a few months ago saying that the children of Trump supporters should be rounded up by FEMA and taken away to re-education camps so that they can unlearn the things that their parents have taught them so that they can be properly inculcated into communist propaganda, the communist mindset. Project Veritas made that up too. Project Veritas made it up. When that woman was on camera admitting 
to ballot harvesting and taking money for people's ballots, giving people money for their votes that was made up. She was arrested. So that couldn't have been made up. That's real life. What about the ballot harvesting in Minnesota? Ilhan Omar's people running around, paying for ballots, taking ballots from old poor people. That's made up too. no. The New York Times is in the middle of a court case finding out right now just how not made up Project Veritas is. But let's go back to the vaccines and Jen Psaki and how she believes that the mainstream media can convince us of just about anything. Just get them watching those big pharma commercials. You got to find them where they are. You got to go to NASCAR. You got to go to country music television. You got to go to the deadliest catch. You know, that's what dumb white people watch. Well, Jen, what sorts of TV shows do you use to convince the black and brown people that are hesitant? Would you like to tell us what shows black and brown people watch? That would be enlightening. I would be very interested. Why didn't she describe that? The idea that somehow once propaganda becomes the only thing that we can see, everyone will simply be convinced of its truth is crazy. And the thing about the the big lie, as Joseph Goebbels tells it, is that they had the full power of the state, the military, the old guard institutions there to all enforce the lie. Yet the Nazis still lost. Propaganda only works on people who are disconnected from reality. And not a big enough percentage of this population is disconnected from reality any longer. Again, people are waking up every single day. And today we have a big wake up for all the pro-vaccine communists out there. The CDC and the FDA, two very corrupt organizations, have decided to take a pause on the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. And around the world in different places, the AstraZeneca vaccine has also been paused. But Anthony Fauci came out today to let everybody know that it was only six out of about seven million cases. So that's really not a big deal. But we're going to pause it anyway, just for extra caution. But the thing is, you should continue taking the Pfizer and Moderna uh, experimental gene therapies because, you know, those are the ones Fauci made. So those are the good ones. So while you shouldn't be scared of vaccines at all, right? This is the messaging. You should maybe be just slightly scared of the Johnson and Johnson one, but not enough to like be scared of vaccines in general, even though we tell you they're all safe. Don't be scared of vaccines in general. Just be scared of the Johnson and Johnson one enough to focus on only taking the mRNA vaccines, the ones they really want out there. Now, none of them do anything. There's no data showing that any of them do anything. And they don't even really have a coherent messaging campaign saying that any of them do do anything. 
Anthony Fauci still thinks you can't go to restaurants. You can't go to bars. You shouldn't go to sporting events. You shouldn't go hang out with anyone you don't know. And you shouldn't stop wearing masks, even if you've been vaccinated. It's crazy how little respect they have for whoever is listening to them. Because they're saying a whole lot of nothing and anyone who's paying any attention can hear that. But they don't worry about that because they're in a bubble. They have this constant feedback loop that only exists in communist politics, Twitter, the mainstream media, celebrity culture. They just keep hearing the same things back over and over and over again. They just have it in their mind that whoever disagrees with them should be ignored just right off the bat because for them to disagree already means that they are a dumb person or that they're just evil and don't care about how many lives they're destroying. Hey, Jen Psaki. Hey, CNN. Hey, Anthony Fauci. That ain't us. Okay. That's you guys. You guys are the ones who can't explain why we should do any of the things you tell us to do. And then we watch them go bad in the real world. And you tell us, They're not going bad. Every person with a full-size functional adult brain can see what's going on here. These people are just shedding public trust. Like it doesn't even matter. Like they can just overpower it all with the messaging. But they can't. Their messaging is terrible. They're not convincing anyone. They are convincing people never to trust them again. And that's working spectacularly well for us. So thanks. I'm going to keep saying it. These people are down to their final out. I know that for a lot of people, it doesn't feel that way, that everything is going bad right now and everything is so crazy and we're all screwed. I don't believe that at all. Okay. If they were winning, it would look much, much different. Do you think that they still want to be talking about elections five months later, six months later? Of course not. They expected to work their little program, put in all the extra votes, declare a winner, and that would be that. It hasn't been at all. There are still court cases going on right now. New Hampshire's about to conduct their forensic audit. That's been entirely signed off on by the Senate and the governor. The Arizona Senate is in the last stages of their fight to start their forensic audit. In Fulton County today, there was a hearing. I watched the hearing. Some of it has been misreported, I would say, by some outlets on our side and even some people who are prominent on our side. And that makes me question their diligence in gathering information. But watching the hearing, it was clear to me that the judge determined that for the sake of the ballots, the actual paper ballots, their physical security and integrity, he wanted the auditors to first start with just the ballot images. And then in 30 days, they'll return to review that and then hopefully get the paper ballots at that time. A lot of outlets have reported it 
as the judge denying the opportunity to look at the paper ballots. And that's just not what happened. I watched the entire thing. It isn't what happened. Now, I can't say that we're going to get those paper ballots. It's possible that this is just a delay tactic and that the judge was going to make this decision going in. But that's not how it seemed to me while I watched it. And you can tell pretty clearly how desperate the Georgia attorneys were in the hearing. They're trying to paint the entire audit as pointless. As if all the auditors want to do is simply retally the votes. That's not it. And I'm sure that they know that, but they're going to present it in a certain way to make it seem like all of this is just redundant and they're not going to find anything new. Well, yeah, that's why we want the paper ballots. And I believe we're going to get them. Maybe I'm being naive here. I know that we have seen a series of obstructions and delay tactics over the past few months. And every time one of those arises, it's always very disappointing. But the fact remains that all of this stuff is still pushing forward and the public comes more and more to our side. Obviously, I have no illusions about the fact that they are going to do everything they can to make sure the truth doesn't come out. And one of the ways that this is happening, obviously, is by search engine manipulation, primarily by Google. There are reports around the country where there are radio commercials telling people to specifically use the Google search engine to look up vaccine information. And then today we also have some screenshots captured by a guy named Luke Rudkowski who Googled riots today. I shouldn't even say Googled. He searched riots today on Google and DuckDuckGo, and the results are entirely different. On DuckDuckGo, you have MSN. Protests erupt after police fatally shoot black man in traffic stop near Minneapolis. The Guardian. Protests near Minneapolis after fatal police shooting of black man at traffic stop. Protests erupt. National Guard deployed after protests. That's what we're seeing on DuckDuckGo. On Google, we have results about how January 6th changed everything. About how a Texas man was arrested for his role in the very deadly insurrection. And then a couple things remembering the Brixton riots 40 years later. Now, all of those are entirely irrelevant search results. Did Google break? Of course not. Google is specifically making sure that no one who wants legitimate information can actually find it. And again, this is one of our biggest problems. But on the positive side, even with all of that happening, people still move to our side every day. People open their eyes, they open their minds, they realize that the beliefs they had were wrong. That's great, okay? In the face of all this obstruction, all this suppression of information, we still get these little wins every single day. That's good. This should be a source for hope. And you got to understand how many people are on our side. If we weren't winning, if we weren't the majority, if we weren't right, 
they wouldn't have to do all of this. All right. They don't want to be doing any of this. They want to be, as CNN said, lying to us about climate change. They want us to still be locked down. I'm not going to take any of these vaccines. And I know that Trump is still out there talking about the effort, the successful effort of Operation Warp Speed. And I can't say I entirely understand where he's going with that. But at the same time, he's also always made it clear that it's everyone's choice about whether or not they want to take the vaccine. And all of us who have paid attention to him, who have paid attention to events, who have not written all this stuff off as nonsense, all of us are awake to all this. I can't imagine that Trump thinks that his supporters will do whatever he tells them. He would already know that's not true. So he says the things he needs to say, and then he leaves it up to us. What alternative did he have? I mean, I guess he could have gone on an anti-vax campaign the entire last year of his presidency. But that would have been a monumental distraction. And people would have recoiled from that. That would have cemented the media narrative that Trump is anti-science and that he doesn't care about people. And if that explanation doesn't work for you, then I got nothing else because it doesn't entirely work for me either. I think it's very strange that anyone is encouraging the use of these vaccines for this disease. A vaccine is not needed for a disease that kills so few people. Same as the flu shot. Maybe if you're in a vulnerable group, this thing might help you. We certainly don't have evidence that that's true at this point. These vaccines are being given under an emergency use authorization. We won't actually have the real data for a while. The fact that that doesn't scare communists off from taking this thing is disconcerting for sure. But hey, everybody's got to take responsibility for themselves. That would be one great lesson for everyone to learn from this whole thing. Stop relying on false authority to tell you what to think and what to do. But let's move on from the vaccine subject. Yesterday, California Representative Kevin Kiley tweeted, a bill to expose the name and address of everyone who signs a recall petition just passed the Senate Elections Committee. California's counter-enlightenment marches on. So he's referring here to the recall petition for Governor Gavin Newsom. And what we have here is a totalitarian communist government trying to scare the people into submission. They want people to feel endangered by the fact that they took their time to speak up for the sort of society that they want, a.k.a. one not run by Gavin Newsom, by the Democrat Communist Party, by the Chinese Communist Party, and one that gladly puts millions of workers out of work, pretending that that's what the science 
says we should do, that we should close our schools and give the teachers unions whatever they want, because the science says that, too, that we should close bars and restaurants because, you know, the science. California doesn't want that anymore because California isn't as blue as people pretend it is. Now, I don't know if you watched Tucker Carlson last night, but Tucker's monologue at the beginning of the show was honestly amazing and totally worth watching. He's talking about how one of their electoral strategies is to literally change the demographic makeup of the population so that they can import voters who will vote the way they want them to. And of course, when you're in a place as corrupt as California, it goes beyond that because it's not just about putting new people in there. It's about making the process totally open for fraud with mass mail-in voting, refusing to actually purge the voter rolls of the millions of registered voters who don't represent an actual legal voter in California, they don't do any of that. And then when we have an election like the one we just had, we can see how California gets to be so blue. And the fact that it continues being so blue because of these methods convinces people that the population of California really does just agree with everything they say. That's not true. And you know it's not true because the governor's getting recalled. You don't have to believe me and my perspective. You know it's not true because two million people signed a recall petition for Gavin Newsom. California is not that different from, what was it, 15, 16 years ago, whatever it was, when California recalled Gray Davis and replaced him with Arnold Schwarzenegger. You didn't see the Democrats out there trying to recall Schwarzenegger. They could have. They didn't. So what do they hope to achieve? They're clearly trying to intimidate the citizens of California. This is just about the worst thing that elected representatives can do. This is pro-doxing. Do they want people to lose their jobs for standing up for their political beliefs? Apparently. Do they want people to be threatened in their homes? Seems like it. I wouldn't say something like that if I didn't also know that they have BLM Antifa on the ground ready to go out and riot and wreck things. The Democrats in California are literally targeting the citizens of California. These are people who pretend that they're getting attacked if people disagree with them on Twitter, that that constitutes harassment. But they'll freely expose the information, the private information of their citizens to the mob. And speaking of people who aren't bothered by mobs, (laughs) that was a stretch for a segue, huh? Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib of The Squad tweeted last night, It wasn't an accident. Policing in our country is inherently and intentionally racist. Dante Wright was met with aggression and violence. I am done with those who condone government-funded murder. No more policing, incarceration, and militarization. It can't be reformed. 
You got that? So cops are inherently and intentionally racist. It doesn't matter what color skin they have, of course. The entire system is inherently and intentionally racist. For police to be intentionally racist, for the institution of policing to be intentionally racist, would actually require that the police were started to enact racism. That's what it would mean for policing to be intentionally racist. But we have policing all over the world. Are the Chinese police there because of racism? Are police in Uganda there because of racism? What is she saying? This stuff makes no sense, but it sends the right signals to the child brains of Internet communists. And that's all that matters. And then she goes on and goes so far as to say that there should be no more policing, no more incarceration and no more militarization. Okay, well, then what do we do when crime happens? And that's the question, isn't it? They'll tell you that they just want social workers to go handle it. They know that that's not true or possible. They also know that violent crime rose to all new heights last year as a direct result of this exact propaganda campaign. So you can know immediately that whatever her motives are, they're not to protect communities, to protect property rights or any of that. Now, communists don't believe in property rights unless you're a high ranking communist like Patrice Cullors, and then you get to buy four houses. But otherwise, property rights don't matter. And the Great Reset people agree with this. The World Economic Forum. You've seen the ads, and if you haven't, you should. But they talk about how in 2030, you will own nothing, and you'll love it. You won't have any possessions. You'll live in a small government house. They'll provide you with enough money to buy clothing, or they'll just give you clothing. It's the same thing, really. You'll use public transportation, even if it's just Uber or those weird little bikes that they put all over the city to destroy parking spots. Your possessions will no longer belong to you. They will belong to the state or to the people in general. Your possessions will be transient. I hope you don't have anything with sentimental value. But what of actual security in these communist cities around the country? The first thought is, well, they clearly don't care about that. And that's right. But there still has to be a deeper motivation. And what is it? If you take all the police out of a society and replace them with social workers, violent crime is going to skyrocket even further, causing more and more people to leave cities. Anyone who can afford to leave cities will. Poor people and the people who work in low-wage jobs in those cities will stay because they don't have a choice. 
and all the real estate that was possessed by people in the lower middle class, the middle class and the upper middle class, all of those people who run for their lives, who flee the cities, all of that real estate will be bought up as cheaply as possible by business interests and foreign investors. And we will then have cities of high rise residential locations with these small units. And in contrast, we'll have Dubai level ostentatious wealth on display. And if you think that sounds like a good idea, A, you're a communist, but B, get your head checked because that's dystopia. If you haven't watched Blade Runner 2049, put that on. That's the future they see for us in terms of how they expect people to live. They'll have relationships with their computer screens or with virtual companions. Their homes will be for sleeping and being entertained until you go back to work. How will people meet? How will they form families? How will they reproduce? Again, all those questions are irrelevant because all of those are antithetical to the actual mission here. And when security problems arise, how will they solve them? Well, they'll ask for outside help. They'll either have private contractors enforcing the laws and laws is in quotes there. Or they'll call on international bodies like UN peacekeeping forces. What do you see in other countries around the world where political violence erupts and those countries aren't equipped to stop it or choose not to? UN peacekeeping missions. Take a second today and use a non-Google search engine And look up UN peacekeeping missions and put in terms like sexual assault and see what you get. All of this is 100% geared toward the degradation of society, toward a complete snuffing out of human liberty, human independence, and the human spirit, because all of those things interfere with their plans. And that's what Donald Trump represents to America and to the world now. That was a rebirth of the American spirit of independence. We don't need help. We don't want help. Stop interfering in our lives. And let's now move from the dystopian to just the absolutely corrupt. The New York Times had to publish a cover-up story last night to preset a narrative about an issue they do not want to talk about at all. And that is the John Durham investigation. That is the Steele dossier, the origins of the Russia hoax, and the involvement of Hillary Clinton and Fusion GPS and Perkins Coie. 
And aside from this article, which I'll read to you and we can talk about, I just want to highlight the fact that Perkins Coie is involved with this. Okay. Perkins Coie is now on the way to Arizona to try to obstruct the forensic audit of the Maricopa County ballots. And they are there under the guise of the Protect Democracy Project, which is a 501c3 organization, which means that they are supposed to be politically nonpartisan. Okay? So what we have right there is already corruption. They're going in there to stop a forensic audit while pretending to be politically nonpartisan. And this is also just cover for Perkins Coie, an extremely aggressive Democrat legal firm that works very closely with all of the most corrupt people in the world, like Hillary Clinton, like Barack Obama, like Joe Biden, like China, and like George Soros. I feel like they are going to be one of those names that you start hearing more often. And again, the New York Times story caught my eye because this is the the sort of story you would run to provide cover for Perkins Coie in the future. Okay, this is from yesterday by Charlie Savage and Adam Goldman to New York Times communists. And the article is entitled subpoenaing the Brookings institution. Durham focuses on Trump Russia dossier. The special counsel scrutinizing the Russia inquiry, a Trump era leftover appears to be retreading ground that an inspector general explored in 2019. So there's your premise of the article right there, that this is all old stuff. It's just retreading ground. We've already gone over. This is a leftover. Doesn't mean anything. Exiled from Twitter, former President Donald J. Trump issued a sarcastic statement recently inquiring about the ongoing public silence from John H. Durham, the special counsel who has been investigating the Trump Russia inquiry since May 2019. Where's Durham, said Mr. Trump, who repeatedly predicted before last year's election that Mr. Durham's investigation would prove a deep state conspiracy against him. Is he a living, breathing human being? Will there ever be a Durham report? That was the end of Trump's statement. Mr. Durham ignored the complaint publicly and the scope of his inquiry remains opaque. But one aspect has come into focus recently, according to people familiar with the investigation. Mr. Durham has keyed in on the FBI's handling of a notorious dossier of political opposition research, both before and after the Bureau started using it to obtain court permission to wiretap a former Trump campaign advisor in 2016 and 2017. In addition to questioning witnesses who may have insight into the matter, Mr. Durham has obtained documents from the Brookings Institution related to Igor Danchenko, a Russian researcher who worked there a decade ago. A Russia researcher? I'm not sure if they meant Russia or if it should say Russian. I guess maybe he's both. Mr. Danchenko later helped gather rumors about Mr. Trump and Russia for that research, known as the Steele dossier, according to people familiar with the request. Now, it's important to keep in mind that Igor Danchenko is the primary subsource for the Steele dossier, right? That means that when Christopher Steele went out to prepare this thing, he relied on information 
from Igor Danchenko. And this says that Danchenko helped gather rumors, which is probably the nicest way you can say what he actually did, which was make up a whole bunch of stuff about Donald Trump. This is the PP dossier, like where Donald Trump would hire Russian hookers and have them perform golden showers on him in his Russian hotel and that Putin had all of this on tape. Do you remember all of that? That's what CNN pretended. That's what all of the very responsible people in the party of false decorum pretended might be real. By asking about the dossier, Mr. Durham has come to focus, at least in part, on re-scrutinizing an aspect of the investigation that was already exposed as problematic by a 2019 Justice Department Inspector General report and led to reforms by the FBI and the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. Okay, again, that is not false, but it intentionally leaves out the meat of that story. These FISA warrants were completely abused. The FISA court was misled by the FBI and no one has taken the fall for that yet. A spokesman for Mr. Durham declined to content. I would be very, very interested in finding out who they think is a spokesman for Mr. Durham. Okay. There have been no leaks from that investigation. There has been virtually no information about any aspect of that investigation the entire time. There is no reason to believe that these two communists at the New York Times know a spokesman for the Durham investigation. Asked whether the special counsel had briefed his new supervisor, Attorney General Merrick B. Garland, a Justice Department spokesman would only point to a statement by Mr. Garland as a nominee. If confirmed, he said, one of the first things I'm going to do is speak with Mr. Durham and learn the status of his investigation. So right now, the New York Times communists are telling us that Durham's spokesman, unnamed, declined to comment and that an unnamed Justice Department spokesman answering on behalf of Merrick Garland referred these communists back to his statement he made in his confirmation hearing that says he intends to talk to Mr. Durham. That's a non-answer. And of course it is because Merrick Garland has no idea what's happening. And that is part of the point of the Durham investigation. In February, several weeks before the Senate confirmed Mr. Garland, Mr. Durham obtained old personnel files and other documents related to Mr. Danchenko from the Brookings Institution, a prominent Washington think tank using a subpoena. Mr. Danchenko had worked there from 2005 until 2010. Mr. Danchenko traveled to Russia in 2016 and gathered rumors about Trump and his associates on behalf of Christopher Steele, who produced the dossier as a subcontractor for an investigative firm being indirectly paid by Democrats to look into any Trump-Russia ties. It's odd that they don't bother naming these organizations. The investigative firm he's talking about is Fusion GPS, and they were paid by Hillary Clinton via Perkins Coie. 
Michael Cavadell, the general counsel of Brookings, confirmed the subpoena for records and other materials about Mr. Danchenko, saying that it was received on December 31st and that the think tank had taken until February to gather the files and turn them over to Mr. Durham's team, in part because its office is closed during the pandemic. Oh, yeah, it's always COVID, isn't it? Consistent with its practices in such matters, Brookings provided the responsive documents, none of which contained information associated with the reports known as the Steele dossier, Mr. Cavadell said. Last September, the attorney general at the time, William P. Barr, made public that from 2009 to 2011, Mr. Danchenko had been the subject of an FBI counterintelligence investigation, assessing his contacts with several suspected Russian intelligence officials, including at the Russian embassy. Got it? So. The Department of Justice knew in 2009 that Mr. Danchenko was the subject of a counterintelligence investigation. Got it? Then, in 2016, Hillary Clinton paid Perkins Coie to have Fusion GPS hire Christopher Steele to compile this dossier on anti-Trump intelligence, in quotes. And Mr. Steele relied on the stuff Igor Danchenko made up to create the dossier. Steele, of course, could have done it himself, but then he wouldn't have plausible deniability. In fact, Hillary Clinton could have made that stuff up herself, but then she wouldn't have had plausible deniability. And this story, when it reached the media, wouldn't have given the media all these different levels of plausible deniability, which then they passed off to the CIA and FBI. And I know that sounds crazy. It's a crazy situation. It's a difficult situation to understand. But the long and short of it is. Hillary was worried about her emails being released, so they created a cover story to paint Donald Trump as a Russian asset who was working with Russia against American interests. They went to Perkins Coie. Perkins Coie went to Fusion. Fusion went to Steele. And Steele relied on Igor Danchenko, who the DOJ knew as early as 2009 was the subject of a counterintelligence investigation. Now, knowing all of that, you also have to understand that the FBI knew all of that and the Department of Justice knew all of that. But that didn't stop them from using this dossier, the Steele dossier, to go to the FISA court and obtain warrants to allow them to tap the phone of Carter Page. The thing about these FISA warrants is that not only can they intercept all of Carter Page's communications at that point, they can also intercept the communications of everyone two degrees of separation from Carter Page, who Carter Page is in communication with. All right. So if Carter Page is talking to me, that means that they can wiretap me. And if I'm talking to you, that means that they can use the FISA warrant against Carter Page to tap me and then tap you and everyone else I talk to. Got it? All that background I just provided you 
is what these communists at the New York Times are conveniently leaving out here. And then they write a paragraph in parentheses. Skeptics of the Steele dossier have raised the prospect that Russian intelligence may have used Mr. Danchenko or his sources to seed it with disinformation in order to further sow chaos. I'm going to break this up because that sentence is so replete with falsehoods that it has to be addressed on its own. First of all, skeptics of the Steele dossier is a dishonest construct from the beginning. All right. There is no skepticism about the Steele dossier. The Steele dossier is fake. It's 100% fake. That is a proven, agreed upon fact that they are now saying might not be true. And that anyone who actually understands the fact that the Steele dossier is fake is actually just a skeptic. And you know what skeptics are when it comes to this sort of stuff. Conspiracy theorists. Now, the concern here also was not that Russian intelligence was using Mr. Danchenko or his sources. There's no proof that Mr. Danchenko actually has sources to seed it with disinformation. No, again, they were doing the job they were paid to do. Hillary needed to make sure no one was talking about or seeing her emails. So she paid Perkins Cooey, who paid Fusion GPS, who paid Christopher Steele. That's the concern. The concern is that it's all fake. Not that Russian intelligence was manipulating Danchenko to seed it with disinformation. The whole thing is disinformation. Mr. Danchenko was never charged and has denied ever being a Russian agent. He has also noted that during his time at Brookings, he put forward analysis embarrassing to President Vladimir Putin of Russia, evidence that Mr. Putin plagiarized parts of his dissertation. Oh, that sounds damning. People might realize that Vladimir Putin may have plagiarized something according to a known liar. Wow. Gosh, I guess they, that that was the part they were all trying to cover up. Notice how they repaint Danchenko here. He was never charged with a crime, which means he probably didn't do anything wrong in the minds of child-brained communists. He denied being a Russian agent. Well, I guess then that's true. He has also noted that during his time at Brookings, he actually put forward an analysis that Putin didn't like. So therefore, he must not be on Russia's side. But again, no one's making the claim that he is on Russia's side. It doesn't matter that he's on Russia's side or not. All that matters is that he created a ton of bullshit that was then compiled into the Steele dossier and then leaked to Michael Isikoff at Yahoo News. That's the problem. The problem is that something that was made up out of whole cloth, complete falsehoods about Donald Trump were passed through all of these different levels and into our mainstream media, who then put the propaganda out into the public to try to harm Donald Trump's campaign. That's the problem. I mean, aside from the illegal wiretaps. 
Mr. Durham has also asked questions that suggested a focus on skepticism about how the FBI approached issues that might have undermined the dossier's credibility as a basis for wiretap applications. People familiar with the inquiry said. And again, they're using that word skepticism as a euphemism. There's not skepticism about how the FBI handled it. The FBI did a series of highly illegal things. And you can watch the Senate testimony of James Comey, Peter Strzok, Andy McCabe, etc. The FISA courts have noted that they now have to look with skepticism at everything the FBI does. That's a disgrace to the institution. That's not an accident. They committed crimes. The fact that they haven't yet been charged is a sad thing for the American public, but hopefully that will all come out in the wash and that'll be a beautiful thing. But these aren't just a series of minor concerns about the FBI. Continuing. For example, Mr. Durham's team is said to have asked why the FBI, after identifying Mr. Danchenko as a major source for the dossier and interviewing him in early 2017, did not tell the surveillance court that he had once been the subject of a counterintelligence investigation. That's a very good question, isn't it? Why didn't they relay that information to the FISA court? And why did they keep filling out FISA applications while knowing that the primary subsource was Danchenko and that none of the information could be trusted. Now that is an abuse of our justice system. Mr. Durham is also said to be interested in a meeting between the FBI and Mr. Steele in Rome in early October, 2016, shortly before the bureau submitted the first wiretap application that used information from his dossier. The previous month, Yahoo news, as I just mentioned, that's Michael Isikoff had published an article that contained information that overlapped with claims in the dossier. <laughs> like it was just random. And the FBI later learned that Mr. Steele had been a source for it, prompting the Bureau to sever its relationship with him. Oh, what, what good timing. Thank goodness they severed their relationship with him after they got everything they needed. At the time, as the Bureau told the court in its wiretap application, it assumed the source had been someone else who had received a copy of the dossier. Oh, they just assumed. Oh, it's got to be someone else. No, it couldn't be this guy over here that we know did it. It's got to be someone else. Mr. Durham is said to have asked why FBI officials at the October meeting apparently did not ask Mr. Steele whether he was the article's source before using his information to apply for permission to wiretap the former Trump advisor, Carter Page. Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Why wouldn't they find out where the information came from before trying to wiretap an American citizen? The focus raised the possibility that Mr. Durham has been exploring whether FBI officials knowingly misled the surveillance court. But if Mr. Durham has found credible evidence of such a crime, as opposed to sloppy investigative work, he has yet to file any such charges. And do you see the trick that they're pulling here? That sentence is incredible. If Mr. Durham has found credible evidence of such a crime, he has yet to file any charges. That by itself would be slightly misleading, but more or less accurate. But when they introduce the middle portion saying, 
as opposed to sloppy investigative work. That entire paragraph becomes a hit job against Mr. Durham, suggesting that Mr. Durham does sloppy investigative work and that the things he's looking for are illegitimate. So you can chalk this whole thing up to a conspiracy theory. That is what they are doing, and they're doing it intentionally. That's not an accident. Okay, they're saying that the other people who have found what Mr. Durham is looking for have done sloppy investigative work. And that's certainly not true. The facts are the facts, and they are known if you look for them. This stuff is widely reported. There are declassified files of these people and their communications. It's not a mystery about what happened. Okay. And presenting it as such is a lie. And then they're also using the other trick that they will use again in this article, which you're about to see, where they describe anyone who has not been convicted of a crime or no charges have come out yet. They imply that means that everyone involved is innocent. Because surely if there was some substance to this, something would have already happened. And people would already be paying for it. But again, we know that in a corrupt system, that's not how it works. So what they're saying is entirely irrelevant. It is just to make you believe that all of this is illegitimate and that John Durham is not going to find anything. And if he does, it's probably bullshit because he's a sloppy investigator. Mr. Durham interviewed the former CIA director, John Brennan, in August, but told him he was not the target of any criminal inquiry. But he has yet terrible writing, but but give me a break. But he has yet to interview former FBI officials who held senior roles in 2016 and have been demonized by Trump supporters, including the former director, James B. Comey, his former deputy, Andrew G. McCabe, and a former senior counterintelligence agent, Peter Strzok, according to people familiar with the matter. So, again, same trick. He hasn't interviewed the senior level people who were demonized by Donald Trump. Got it. So they didn't do anything wrong. Trump was mean to them and Durham's not even going to give them the opportunity to give their side of the story. That's the implication here. And these writers say that knowing that all three of those men have sat down for congressional testimony and lied and perjured themselves in their congressional testimony. And you can watch the congressional testimony yourself. I have. It's hours and hours and hours. But once you know the underlying story, it's actually it's incredible. Fascinating television and not even just I'm not saying this to make light of it just as an entertainment level, but it is amazing to watch the machinations of people who are this corrupt and answering questions in the way they're answering them. It's It's extremely enlightening. If you have the time and the interest, go watch it. Honestly, to the extent any eventual Durham report focuses on criticizing the FBI's handling of issues related to the Steele dossier, it would risk largely retreading ground already covered by the 2019 report by the Justice Department's Inspector General Michael E. Horowitz. Well, that's not a risk. Retread all you want. What are they worried about? Mr. Durham's time? Like, I don't understand the point they're even making here. Oh, it's already covered. Don't worry about it. 
Mr. Horowitz has already brought to light the fact that the FBI botched its wiretap applications in numerous ways. Oh, yeah, they botched them, including uncovering numerous material facts that law enforcement officials failed to tell the court and that might have undermined their case for receiving wiretap authorization or renewals, including about the dossier. Well, that part's exactly right. They did decline to tell the court numerous critical pieces of information that would have made their wiretaps illegal, but they proceeded anyway. Mr. Horowitz's report also unearthed the fact that Mr. Danchenko had been the subject of a counterintelligence investigation when he worked at Brookings in a footnote that was initially classified before Mr. Barr decided to make it public. The report also already focused criticism on the FBI's failure to ask Mr. Steele in October 2016 whether he played a role in the Yahoo News article. And the misconduct by the only person Mr. Durham has charged to date, Kevin Kleinsmith, a former FBI lawyer who altered an email shown to a colleague during preparations to seek a renewal of the wiretap, preventing another problem from coming to light internally, was uncovered by Mr. Horowitz's investigation. Mr. Kleinsmith, who pleaded guilty to falsifying the email, but insisted that he did not deliberately mislead his colleague, was sentenced to probation. Now, if you thought that reading of the first part of that paragraph sounded convoluted, it's because the sentence is convoluted. They're trying to layer on multiple levels of misdirection so that you don't get down to the fact that what happened there was that Kevin Kleinsmith intentionally doctored emails to present a false case to propel what the FBI was doing continually forward. That's illegal. The fact that he wasn't punished properly for what he did doesn't retroactively make the thing he did not a big deal. And the communists always use this argument all the time. Same thing with the courts in the time post-election. It's always, oh, the courts, they didn't see evidence of voter fraud. They said that there's nothing wrong with it. Well, no, that's not what the courts said. First off, they didn't see the evidence. Second of all, and who are you, Black Lives Matter communist, to be telling everyone else that the courts should always be trusted? How's that going to work in a few days when Derek Chauvin is acquitted? And the communists set the country on fire. Can we just tell them, hey, you got to trust the courts. This is what the courts say. You got to believe them. Same logic as the election, right, commie? The problem is pervasive corruption. It's not like they do the right thing sometimes. Kevin Kleinsmith should be in prison. It's a miscarriage of justice that he only has probation. Mr. Barr assigned Mr. Durham to hunt for any potential wrongdoing by the Trump-Russia investigators in spring 2019, at a time when Mr. Trump and his supporters were pushing the notion that the inquiry had been a deep state plot against him. While Mr. Durham's work has been opaque, accounts by people familiar with his investigation have made clear that he has pursued various Trumpian conspiracy theories and grievances. Now, again, these are communists, of course, and this is state media propaganda. But how does any person write that paragraph? It is not a notion that the inquiry into Trump Russia was a deep state plot against him. 
It was literally carried out by Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, the CIA, the FBI, Perkins Coie, Fusion GPS, Christopher Steele, and a whole bunch of other people. It literally was a deep state plot against him. That's proven in the documentation. Real documentation. Declassified documentation. These aren't conspiracy theories. They're not Trump's grievances. These are real things that happened. They are crimes. The proof of the crimes is out there. And John Durham proving those crimes doesn't then also become a conspiracy theory just because you called it one now. In seeking to discredit the Russia investigation, Mr. Trump and his allies have frequently conflated it with the flawed steel dossier. Well, there's a reason for that. In fact, the page wiretaps were a minor part of the overall effort. Oh, sure they were. And Mr. Horowitz's report showed that it played no role in the FBI decision to open the counterintelligence investigation in July 2016. Again, irrelevant, misleading, non sequitur. While uncovering numerous ways the FBI had botched those wiretap applications, Mr. Horowitz's report also concluded that it had lawfully opened the overall investigation on an adequate basis. But keep in mind the fact that not finding something to be unlawful is different than saying it is thereby justifiable. When the inspector general delivered the report, Mr. Durham intervened with an unusual public statement saying he disagreed with Mr. Horowitz that the investigation's opening was properly predicated. Mr. Durham provided no details, but Mr. Horowitz later told Congress that Mr. Durham had told him he thought that the FBI should have opened the inquiry as a preliminary investigation rather than going straight to a full one. And somehow that's the end of the story. But that is just one of the most amazing pieces of state media propaganda I have ever read. That is complete misdirection. Anyone who reads that article and trusts these New York Times writers will be made dumber by that article. That pushes them further away from legitimate information because it throws up roadblocks in their minds when the legitimate information comes out. And of course, that's why the state media propaganda artists do this stuff. They want to set the narrative so that when you hear the real information, you already believe that you have an adequate justification for thinking the real things you're being told are somehow part of a conspiracy or a Trumpian grievance. This level of propaganda is a legitimate threat to society. And we're going to see it more and more and more and more over the next week or so, especially as we go through this vaccine danger stuff, as we go through this nonsense about this guy, Dante Wright in Minneapolis. And by the way, I'm not saying the kid should have died. Okay. I'm just saying that the way they're presenting it is a complete and utter fabrication. And it's meant to sow discontent and it's meant to create riots and all of this is to enact their political agenda we are being terrorized by the democrat communist party and by these corrupt institutions who do nothing but lie to us and mislead us their interest is not 
the good of the people. That has to be absolutely clear. And just wait till we get to the election fraud stuff. I'm also very interested to see how this Durham stuff intersects with Perkins Coie's involvement in Arizona. And if that law firm and the things they do might be exposed in a way we didn't expect. And I think that the groundwork for that is being laid here. Because I don't believe for a second that these people found out any legitimate information about the Durham investigation unless the Durham team wanted them to. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate, or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range.
It's hell!